What's up, guys? It's time for another episode of Mad Mork Stories coming to you live from Silicon Valley, California. Happy Thursday. My God, I can't believe it's Thursday already. It's almost the end of the week. It's been a crazy week here in the Valley and lots of crazy stories. Today's podcast is going to be a little bit unusual. I mean, they always are unusual, but this one's going to be a little bit unusual. I'm going to be talking about one of my favorite topics today. Uh, and I'll let you guys figure it out what it's going to be. I'm not going to go into uh, spilling the beans yet, uh, but I'm going to go into one of my favorite topics. And it's actually it's a podcast, you know, in a video that I should have done a long time ago, given how much need there is out there for this. Um, and, you know, it's something that I've been thinking about for a long time. And it's something that I know a lot of people struggle with in all kind of aspects of their life. So rather than kind of like drone on about what it is, and kind of like keep you in suspense. I think, you know, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start today's podcast, uh, today's video with a story. Right. And this story goes back to um, a story kind of like in, in my life uh, back in the 1990s. Uh, way back when. Yeah, totally dating myself. And it was basically summer 1990 in Brussels, Belgium. And I remember it like as if it was yesterday. I was uh, I was working in like the blistering heat of, uh, of Brussels weather. And I was out kind of like doing a sales job. I was out kind of like working for uh, an animal rights protection group um that was selling plushed animals and brochures to try and raise money to raise awareness around the cause and in this particular case uh the cause was basically um helping animals that had been abandoned by their families during the summer holidays and so like essentially you know it's um it's an interesting story because it all starts during that kind of like that that summer day and and I remember you know, I was out walking the streets of Brussels and it was like blistering hot. And, you know, Brussels during the summer uh, can get really, really hot, believe it or not. It, uh, it can get like well into the 90s. And, you know, um, I was walking down the street, you know, with my duffel bag full of like plush toys and uh, and people are like scurrying back and forth and they're doing their shopping. And, you know, there's not that many people in the city during July because essentially, you know, the summer months, a lot of people go to the beach or a lot of people. Um, you know, go south to France or they go to Spain or wherever, you know, the, the summer holidays, people take a lot of time off in Europe. And um, I'm walking through the streets and I'm looking around and I'm, I'm scanning all the different people that are kind of like going backwards and forwards. And, you know, people are kind of like in a hurry because it's, you know, it's the city, even though it's summertime, people are in a hurry getting, getting uh, back and forth from their cars, going to the office or whatever. And, you know, in this kind of heat, they obviously want to get out of, uh, they want to get out of the streets, right? They want to get indoors somewhere where it's air conditioned. And I'm looking around and suddenly, you know, I spot this old, this older woman, right? And she's kind of like probably in her 60s, maybe late, late 60s, going on 70s. And she's carrying a trolley along behind her. Um, and I think to myself, this is like the perfect person, right? So, you know, I walk right up to her, right? I pounce and I come up to her and I say, um, excuse me, ma'am, do you like animals? And she turns around and she goes, well, yes, of course. You know, I, I love animals, as a matter of fact. Uh, she kind of looks at me squinting through, like, these, thick, you know, spectacles. And she's looking up at this, like, smiling, grinning face of, like, this 19-year-old Belgian kid, right, who's looking down on her. And I go, well, you know, did you know that every single summer um, across Belgium, thousands of pets are abandoned by, you know, their families and their masters as they go out on holiday?" And I pull out a brochure and I start you know, showing her like the pictures of, you know, these poor pets, you know, cats and dogs and all sorts of animals, you know, who are kind of like left homeless over the summer months. And she goes, uh, she looks at me, she, you know, she kind of 
does one of these and goes, oh, my God, that's horrible. You know, how could how could anybody possibly do that to uh, their pets, she says. So I look at her and I go, um, well, yeah, you know, it's 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 really sad. It's unfortunate, but it happens often. I say, uh, you know, do you have pets at home? And she looks at me and she's uh, like, well, yes, of course, young man. She's like, as a matter of fact, I have, you know, a six-year-old uh, Belgian shepherd called Bruno. And uh, and I look back and I'm and I'm like, oh well, that's that's wonderful. You know, I actually have a, a Belgian police dog myself called Sandro. I said, you know, and we kind of like we've uh, we've had this dog for like 12 plus years. He's moved with us all over all over the country, all over the world. And I kind of joke with her as I look at her and I say, well, you know, we've we've had him in so many different countries that we speak. We, we think he probably barks in like four or five different languages. Uh, I say, you know, and. Um, and she she just kind of like laughs and says, oh, you know, that that's hilarious. You know, it's uh, she says, you know, my my dog, Bruno, actually, my uh, my grandkids are actually, you know, Flemish and, you know, they speak a different language. And sometimes, you know, I believe that kind of he he seems to understand uh, everything, every word that they say and maybe even changes his bark when when he's uh, when he's spending time with them as well. Right. Um, and so, you know, we continue talking for a while and I say, well, you know, um, uh, you know, people are always underestimating the intelligence of, of animals. You know, I think it's uh, there's so much more to animals' personalities than than simply the way they appear. Um, but I say, you know, and, and uh, I say, ma'am, I you know, I don't want to take too much of your time. You know, I I understand that you're probably in a hurry, and it's incredibly hot out here. And you know, maybe you'd like to get indoors, you know, and have a, a glass of lemonade or spend more time with your dog Bruno. So I said, um, you know, I look at her and I say, well, how would you like to be able to help? you know, some of these animals that, you know, that are suffering and are being abandoned, you know, how, how would you like to support our cause, you know, perhaps by, by buying one of these brochures, um, you know, that I have right here, I say, as I, as I show her the pictures. And of course, at that point, she kind of like, you know, kind of, you know, squints a little bit and I see her eyebrows kind of furrow and she looked at me and she's like, well, you know, I'm, I'm not quite sure, you know, I mean, what really can I do? And, you know, I, you know, brochures are not, you know, uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not quite sure that, uh, that that's for me. And, uh, you know, and, and, and I don't have that much money. And I said, well, you know, I said, um, one way that you can support the cause obviously is, you know, we, we have these, these, these plush animals, you know, and, and I, and I pull out like, you know, uh, a brightly blue colored little dragon, you know, that I had in my bag. And I said, well, you know, we have these plushed animals. And I said, they're only five euros and it would mean a lot to us. Um, and it would mean a lot to the animals that get abandoned. And, she kind of looks at me and she's like, well, you know, five, five euros, that, that really feels like a lot. You know, that's, I, I, I don't quite know if I have that kind of money on me and I'd really like to help where I can. And, you know, dogs are important and, and so are animals. And I feel really badly about, you know, what's happening. And, and I say, Hey, look, you know, no, no worries, no worries at all. You know, I understand that that's a concern and, you know, um, maybe the plush toys aren't for you. I said, but, you know, even if you took, you know, this, this leaflet, I say, pulling out a leaf out of my bag, you know, um, this leaflet is no more than a euro and, you know, um, a euro, if you think about it over the course of, you know, a day or a week or a month or a year, it's, you know, how much is that over the course of a year? I say, right. We were talking like, you know, we're talking, you know, 0.3 cents, you know, per day, you know, to support a cause, which, you know, if more people like you could, could help by buying one of these leaflets, you know, we would make the world a better place and we could protect some of these animals. Um, and so finally she kind of relents and looks at me and says, you know, well, well, you know, I, I appreciate, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the good work that you're doing and it's a really important cause. And, uh, and I really feel like, you know, supporting your organization. So, you know, she reaches into uh, her bag and pulls out her wallet and proceeds to give me a Euro and, and I give her the, uh, you know, the, the pamphlet. 
Um, and that's that's about it, right? That was the end of our conversation. I think the entire conversation took about like six or seven minutes. Uh, and you know, for me, it, it was nice because I felt like I was able to um, do something that was helping other people, that was helping animals in this case. I felt good about the cause. And you know, I, as a student in college, you know, coming back from the summer from uh, from Georgetown, where I was studying in the United States, you know, it was it was a nice way to make pocket change. And you know, I think you know, between all the brochures and the plush toys, I probably made six or 700 bucks, you know, over the course of the six weeks that I did that in, in Belgium. But um, so why this story? Why plush toys? Why, you know, why brochures? Why, why uh, animal rights? And I say, well, you know, it's the reason I wanted to share the story is because it illustrates a point for me, which, uh, which I wanted to share with you guys all today, which is, you know, despite 25 years of experience in marketing and sales, and despite, you know, having studied at you know, some of the best universities in the world and having, a, you know, an MBA, uh, you know, from INSEAD, et cetera. Like, I'm always just amazed, amazed at how little emphasis is put in school about, you know, teaching us probably what is one of the most important skills uh, many of us uh, use on a day-to-day basis, right? And that's that's essentially, you know, sales, right, if you think about it. Um and, you know, if you think about it seriously for a second, I mean, the reality is that, you know, every single one of us is selling something like nearly every day, in many cases, multiple times a day, right? So we're selling to all sorts of different audiences, right? When you go to your boss, for example, and you ask for a raise, you're selling, right? When you're trying to convince your kids that they need to go to bed early because it's a school night, you're selling. Uh, when you're negotiating uh, alimony with your ex, you're selling. When you're, you know, on a flight and you're trying to get your seat changed because you're six foot tall plus like me and, you know, you can't like sit like this for 18 hours and you're trying to get like a, an aisle seat, right? You're, you're selling, right? So in many, many situations uh, in our everyday lives, multiple times a day, we are always trying to sell in the sense that whenever you're trying to convince someone to do something for you that benefits you, but it doesn't necessarily benefit them. Uh, although it might, hopefully it does, um, you're selling, right? And it's something that, you know, most of us need to do all the time. And yeah, the reality is, you know, we go to school, um, we get these expensive pieces of paper, we study all these textbooks, we take all these courses. Um, You know, when I think of like, you know, business school, for example, I mean, yeah, we had classes on, you know, organizational behavior, which most of my classmates, you know, didn't pay any attention to because, it was towards the later the later end of uh, of our academic semester, and so they were focused on job search or focused on electives or whatever. And so you end up waking up to the importance of organizational behavior 15 years later when you're managing people and you're having people issues, right? Typical. Or um, people were focused on negotiation classes, right? Those those negotiation electives, you know, where you're 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 reading books and studying techniques on you know how to negotiate you know for maximum effect which yeah there's there's some sales to that for sure right but the practicalities of what it takes to be good at sales you know is not something that anybody of us ever are explicitly taught we just kind of learn it over time so um so on the back of all that you know i i've gotten so frustrated by it because i get like you know cold call emails i get cold call phone calls you know, um, all the time from people trying to sell me stuff, right? Whether it's like, you know, insurance policy for my car or a loan for my house, or it's, you know, somebody who wants me to buy, I don't know, blog or video content services, you know, for my business. And I'm always struck at like how poor people's sales technique is. So I wanted to share with you guys what I consider kind of like Mad Mork's 
you know, top 10 golden rules of selling, which I've used, which I think have helped me enormously, which I've practiced over the years. And um, some of them, hopefully you'll find kind of like came across in, in this story that I was talking about earlier, right? The first kind of golden rule of selling really is a really simple one. Most of the rules are, to be honest. And the first rule really is don't sell, tell a story, right? Like the story above that I was talking about is it's really a, a story about, you know, a student who is like, you know, spending his summertime working for a nonprofit, trying to make some money on the side, trying to help an, an, an organization and these animals um, and appealing to people's better nature. Right. That's that's really what the story is all about. The reality is, you know, people have listened to and been inspired and motivated to take action based on stories for thousands of years. If you think about it, the only thing that's changed is the medium of communication. Right. We have motion picture. We have radio. We have TV. We have the Internet. We have mobile. We have social. Um, now we have, you know, augmented reality, virtual reality. Right. But they all basically communicate the same thing, which is a story. There's a really amazing book on this, if you're interested, which uh, I'm in the process of reading uh, called Talks Like Ted. Right. And Talks Like Ted is, you know, it's a book where the author and, and celebrity speaker and, and uh, speaking coach uh, Carmine Gallo. Uh, or Gallo, he um, he studied hundreds of the world's best speakers, and he he studied like he's reviewed you know thousands of hours of TED talks on on TED.com, and one of the things that he finds you know through all of these uh, the most successful TED talks is without a without a fault right without a doubt they all focus on story right they all have powerful speakers who tell an incredible story um, some of them more you know complex or, or more simple than others. But, you know, about 65% of their content on average in their talk, TED Talk is actually related to stories, right? It's related to com connecting with people emotionally. And when you tell a story, right, you connect with people emotionally, right? I mean, when you go to, you know, a bar after work on a Friday or something and you're with people, um, you know, the life of the, of the party is generally the guy telling the story or the woman telling the story, right? Whether it's a story that makes you laugh or it makes you cry or it makes you angry or it shocks you, right? Stories kind of like they, they do something for us. They move us. They, they create emotion, right? So tell a story. Um, second, and again, this one seems pretty obvious, but it's shocking how many people don't really practice this is you have to solve a problem. Right. I mean, it's not much more complex than that. You know, if somebody comes to me and they identify a need that I have and they are able to give me a solution to that, that makes me feel good. Right. And, and the process of selling isn't really a process of selling after all. It's more helping somebody. Right. So you have to solve a problem. You know, either it's a it's a very real problem or it's potentially a perceived problem. Right. But but, you know, when you solve a problem, then the sales, the sales action, the sales effort becomes intuitive. Right. Three, um, you know, one of the things that I find which is incredibly powerful for me and, and which I really enjoy about my work as a coach is uh, be curious. Ask a lot of questions. You know, when, when I'm meeting somebody for the first time, I spend a lot of time just asking them questions. You know, why did this happen to you? How did this make you feel? Um, why did the person react that way? Why do you think they reacted that way? Right. How did you feel about that? Why did you feel that way? Um, when you ask simple and powerful questions, uh, you're able to get a lot more information. You're able to learn a lot more about your customer. You're able to identify their needs. And the key to asking questions I found is ask simple questions and ask questions that are open-ended, 
right? Don't ask questions like, do you like blue or red, right? Because the problem with asking a question like that is it's a yes, no answer. So you're going to have somebody saying, you know, well, I like blue, I like red, right? If you ask a question where it's like more, you know, talk to me about, you know, talk to me about how certain colors make you feel. Oh, this color makes me feel this way or this color makes me feel this way. Wow, that's interesting. Why does purple make you feel this way? Well, it makes me feel this way because of blah, 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 or because, you know, my grandmother always used to wear purple uh, and that was her favorite color. Oh, that's interesting. Tell me about your grandmother, right? So when you ask questions and you get genuinely curious about your customer, you get a lot of information. You get them to talk about yourself um, and it puts you in a better position to serve them, right? Rule number four. Let's talk about service, right? Um, one of the, one of the most powerful things I've learned, and, and actually this one is, it's something that I've been doing intuitively for years, but it did it didn't really become obvious to me until somebody spelled it out in a book that I read recently. Um, there's a wonderful book um, by Steve Chandler uh, called The Prosperous Coach, and The Prosperous Coach. One of the things that Steve talks about is the act of serving and not selling. Right. And I, and I and I found that to be very powerful. And as a matter of fact, you know, now when I work with you know clients or even people who are not clients, my mindset, right, the way I think is always around serving them. How can I best serve this person? How can I help this person? Right. Um, and so, for example, I had a situation where, you know, I had a client who uh, I spoke. I spent probably six months talking to her about different things happening in her life and her career, et cetera. And for some reason, she, you know, we never got to a point where she became my client. It was just somebody I would talk to every once in a while and she would ask me a question or she might send me an email or text message. Hey, can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? And I would always answer her. I would always, you know, give her some advice or point her to a certain article or send her a podcast or send her a PDF. And eventually one day she she sent her her husband to me. Her husband was uh, interviewing a different tech companies and he was struggling a little bit with the interview process and he was a very very talented smart guy he was just struggling with some of some of his interviews and i ended up working with him just for one or two sessions and you know three weeks later he had multiple offers from different tech companies so you know the act of serving her and the act of serving her i directly helped her husband i i directly you know worked with her husband who became a client briefly and then all of a sudden, you know, two months later, she called me up because she was going through a job transition and, and she decided that she wanted to work together. Right. And so the weird thing was I could have given up on her six months before. I could have said like a lot of people, I could have said, oh, you know, she's she's not ready for coaching or she's not coachable or I could have invent, invented any old story. But in the end, by serving her, by by serving her husband and serving her, I helped her and eventually got her to a point where she was comfortable enough taking, uh, working with me and becoming a client when she had her own challenges and her own issues, right? So that's one of the things that I think kind of works the best is if you really get into this mentality of how do I serve this person? How can I help them? You'll find that all of a sudden the landscape changes significantly for you and you'll find that you're really not selling anymore. You're serving and that makes everything a lot easier. Which leads me to my next point, which is rule number five, right? Cinco, um, never follow up. Oh my God. I mean, like how many of us out there get these emails? I'm just checking in. I'm just following up. Do you have any more questions? And it's like, you get these emails and you know that like, they're not personalized. It's like, you know, some guys got like, you know, a standard email with a script 
and it's completely automated in their CRM system. And you're just like another person getting another email. Right. And I mean, I get so annoyed with those emails. I, I, because for me, on the one hand, I feel like that, that approach is completely unpersonal. And I feel like I'm just another number, right? I feel like I'm just another contact in their database. But it's shocking how many people do this, right? And they'll send you a proposal. They'll be like, do you have any thoughts? You know, did you check it out? Did you open the proposal? What do you think? And you're like, dude, you know, that's that's annoying. And you're badgering me. And after you do that enough times, you actually create a negative impression on the person. And the person is almost gets to a point where even if they need what you're trying to sell them, they're probably not going to buy from you because you've annoyed them so much. And because you're not really asking them questions, you're not trying to really get to the heart of what they need and you're not empathizing with them. So don't follow up. If you're going to follow up, do it in a different way. For example, whenever I want to check in with somebody and I've had a good conversation with somebody, I might send them a note and I might say, Hey, look, it was really great talking to you the other day. I really appreciate, you know, how you talked about this and this other thing happening in your life. I know that this might be a challenge for you. Um, here's an interesting article that I wrote a few months ago on this particular topic that I thought might help you. Or um, here's an interesting podcast or a video that I came across on YouTube that talks about this particular issue. I hope this is helpful for you. Keep in touch. That's it. Right. And so. In a way, like the reality is, am I following up? Am I checking in? Yeah, to some extent I am. But more importantly, I'm adding value, right? Back to rule number four, I'm serving. I'm not selling. I'm actually giving something that is valuable to that person that might actually help them. And look, if they end up becoming a client, great. If they don't become a client, at least I help them. They might tell somebody else how helpful my help was, and they might say, Oh, you know, I know this person that, you know, is a career transformation coach. If you need some help, you should maybe talk to him or you should check out his blog or you should check out his podcast. Right. So never follow up, provide value, serve and don't sell. Right. Rule number six, another important one. Uh, and a lot of sales guys get this wrong, too. Please, 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 whatever you do, don't be needy. Right. Needy is creepy. Right. Seriously. And, you know, this was something else that I picked up in Steve Chandler's book, but I very much feel the same way. I've been told this by many different people. I've said it countless times to many different people. If you feel like you really need the sale, you creep people out, right? It's kind of like, you know, I guess the best or, or, or worst analogy, if you want, is to think about the dating scene, right? Women hate it when these guys are like, you know, calling them up and texting them all the time and they're being really needy and it's clear that they have no option and it's clear that, you know, probably also haven't gotten laid in six months, right? And it's like creeps them out. Sales is the same thing, right? If you come across as like desperate or you come across as you really need the sale, you really need to make your quota, you really need that client, clients don't like that, right? So don't be needy. Uh, rule number seven. This one's pretty intuitive, but again, a lot of people don't do it. Offer a limited set of options, right? Offer a limited set of options. And again, this one should be obvious, but the easiest way to talk about why this is so important is to use like a, a small mini story, right? It's kind of like, I remember going into the supermarket a couple of months ago and, and going into the aisle where they sell all like the healthcare products, right? And, and toothpaste and everything else. And I was toying around with the idea of getting a different toothpaste. I don't know why. I was toying around with that idea. And as soon as I got into the aisle and I, and I started looking at the toothpaste, I was freaking 
overwhelmed with options, right? There were like 6,000 different toothpastes and one of them is like anti-plaque and the other one whitens your teeth and the other one does both and the other one has this flavor and the other one has fluoride and the other one has this and the other one is light and, the other, and it's completely overwhelming. And so the problem is uh, on the one hand, sometimes salespeople offer too many options, right? You have so many options that your brain just shuts down because the reality is that most of us are lazy and we don't want to have to process and th think through all these options. We want it to be somewhat simple, right? On the flip side, you don't want to just have one option. You wouldn't want to go to the supermarket and there's like, here's Crest, it's white, it protects your teeth. You'd be like, really? Well, that's kind of boring. Well, like, what if I want something that freshens my breath? Right. The problem is you go from one extreme to another, which is why now all these companies have like, you know, what's called SKU complexity. They have way too many products on the market and they're overwhelming consumers with too much information. Ideally, what do you want to do? You probably want to have three options. Now, obviously, this is going to change depending on the kind of product that you have. If you're selling, you know, aircraft carriers, um, it's probably a little bit more complicated than providing three options. Right. But in many cases, you know, when you go to like, you know, uh, uh, company's website that sells software as a service or when you're looking at, you know, different other options for other products that are a little bit more basic, you typically have a low-end option, a mid-price option, and a high-end option, right? Why? Well, because, you know, the high-end stuff, often people will look at that and be like, oh my God, the gold package, you know, that's like $1,000 a month with like every single bell and whistle that you could imagine on this software package, but I don't really need that. And that feels really expensive to me. On the low end action, on the low end option, well, you know, there's not enough there. Yeah, it's free or it's really cheap, but there really isn't much there, and I kind of feel cheap buying it. So, you know, what is what does um, psychology tell us about that? Well, typically people will will err somewhere in the middle, right? They want they won't necessarily want the cheap option because they don't want to feel cheap. They won't necessarily want the super expensive one because they don't want to pay that much or or they don't have the budget but they will, they will get somewhere in the middle, right? So always provide options, but keep the options simple and provide at least two to three options, typically three. Um, rule number eight, uh, and I love this one as well. And again, it comes out of another book that I read, uh, create clients, right? And, and, and so this is kind of, again, this is intuitive, but every time that I meet somebody new, I'm never thinking about them as a client. I'm thinking about them as a relationship. And the reality is that, the best salespeople I've ever met are actually never really selling. All they're doing is they're building relationships. They're connecting with a lot of people. They're identifying needs. They're telling stories. They're cultivating those relationships over time. Um, and at some point, the person may or may not become a client, right? They may or may not buy from you, but they might know somebody who does, right? So if you take your time, you know, and I wrote a separate post about this on my blog uh, a while back, if you slow down, you'll actually realize that you're speeding up in many ways. If you take your time to really get to know somebody, if you're sharing stories, if you're asking them deep thought provoking questions and you build those relationships, you create your ideal client. You'll find that you're not really selling at all. People will naturally come to you when they need something or they'll refer somebody to you who needs what you're actually selling. Right. Nine. Don't be afraid to make the ask, right? Again, this is something that amazes me when I talk to people. It's like, they'll be like, oh, yeah, you know, I was talking to the client and they said this and they said this. And all of a sudden they were like, yeah, I think I really need this. And, you know, how much would it cost to work with you? And then they lose it, right? And then they don't make the ask. Um, you have to know when to make the ask, right? Once you really identify that your customer is genuinely interested in, 
once they're starting to ask the right kind of like cue questions about how your product works, what the service level agreements look like, um, what account management looks like, uh, what the warranty terms are on this particular car, right? Once they're asking all those questions, you have to be able to kind of be bold enough to kind of like lead them down the process of the sale and not be afraid to ask them, hey, you know, um, is this something that would interest you? It sounds like you have this problem from what you're telling me. The problem is X, Y, Z. Uh, from the questions you've been asking me, I'm feeling like this could really help you. Should we sit down and talk about it? Would you like a proposal? Right. Don't be afraid to make the ask and kind of like lead boldly the customer down the route. And, and the easier you make that process for them and the clearer your process of getting from your proposal on your product all the way to closing and delivering your product to them, the th more thankful they're going to be. Right. But if you don't lead, you might lose them. So be bold. Make the ask. Last but not least. Um, and I like to keep this one to the end. You know, again, this one is pretty basic. Uh, if you read uh, Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, he talks about that. Uh, there are a number of different books that talk about this as well. Um, smile and laugh, right? It's really, really basic. But again, there's a lot of data on this. There's a wonderful TED Talk, coincidence, um, that was done by Ron Gutman, who's the CEO and founder of a startup in the Valley called HealthTap. He talks a lot about this. He's done some, a lot of research on this and he gives a talk on TED. And, you know, the interesting thing about Ron's talk is, you know, not only is he like a very warm, kind of like charismatic and friendly person, not only does he smile a lot, but there's a lot of research now that proves that, you know, when you are smiling and cracking jokes, again, you're better able to connect with people, right? If you've ever smiled at somebody and like, just try it right after you listen to this podcast or watch this video, go and just have a conversation with somebody and smile at them. Right. Try that and see how the person responds. And I guarantee you that like nine times out of 10, that person is going to smile back at you. It's really hard to resist uh, a smile, especially when it's authentic and genuine. Right. It's like people just want to smile back. Right. That's that's kind of the way that we're wired. So when you smile at someone, you know, you create that connection. They smile back. You know, it makes the process easier. And, you know, something to keep in mind there as well is kind of like the reality is people like to buy from people that they trust, right? They like to buy from people that they like. So if you're able to get into that conversation and naturally you're smiling, you're relaxed, you're telling a story, you're telling a joke, you can make the person laugh, you can make the person smile, um, the entire process becomes that much more casual. And you'll also find that the sales process is really not a process. It ends up just being a formality, right? So anyway, those are my 10 rules. Um, you know, they, they have worked, uh, really, really well for me. I encourage you to check them out. If you want to kind of like check out the, uh, the written for, you know, the written version of, uh, this podcast and this video, I encourage you to go to my blog, madmork.com slash blog. And you can find, uh, the post where, where, you know, I actually talk in, in more detail about this and I actually lay out some other specific examples. The name of the post is the one skill business schools won't teach you. Uh, and, and I do believe that, you know, business schools are making an effort on this, but it's something that's not intuitive or easy to teach. Uh, and it's something that, you know, I had to learn from experience. So um, hope you enjoyed the podcast or the video. Uh, feel free to shoot me any questions. Feel free to make any comments. If you want to subscribe to the channel on YouTube, please subscribe. That would be great. If you're not subscribed to the podcast, you can uh, subscribe now. Uh, or if you're watching the video, you can go to www.anchor.fm slash madmork. 
stories. Uh, you can also go to my Facebook page where you can like us and you can follow the live events that we have and other posts and schedule of interviews. And, you know, make sure that you check out the blog, www.madmore.com slash blog. If you ever want anything else, you can reach out to me. Just drop me an email, patrick at madmore.com. I hope this has been super useful for you guys. And just, just remember the ten, 10 basic tenets and you will find that your life will change completely. And that selling will actually not feel like a job. It'll feel fun. You'll be curious. You'll have much better relationships with people. You'll have a lot more fun. You'll tell stories. You'll smile. You'll joke. And then you'll be successful. So this is Mad Morph from Silicon Valley from Mad Morph Stories signing off. Hope you enjoyed this video or podcast. And I will talk to you next week. Signing off. Take care. Bye.